As we get into our message today, I actually want to take a few minutes just beforehand to go back to the Lord in prayer. Um, There are many in our church that we need to be praying for. We need to be praying for Tamara Taylor and her family. Her brother um, had surgery recently, and there's been some complications related to that. And we want to be lifting her up, or excuse me, him up in prayer. Uh, We want to be lifting up the Rittenberry family um, as Jody passed away uh, this last week. And we want to be praying for that family. We also want to be praying for Jean Bird. Uh, She tested positive for COVID this last week and has also had some other um, bronchitis or something else going on with that. And so I know I'm saying the wrong thing, but that's what happens when you have a pastor and not a doctor. Uh, And uh, so we want to be lifting her up in prayer as well. So let's take some time to go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we come before you once again, Lord, and we just, um, we just love you so much. And God, we praise you because we know that you are in control um, no matter what is going on around us. And with that in mind, Lord, we come before you now with, with these specific requests and, and those that have needs, Lord. We, first off, we lift up our congregation as, and really our whole community as we've had uh, winter weather already and we have winter weather in the future, Lord. We pray that you would keep all of us safe. Lord, that you would keep us cared for and provided, Lord, that we as a church can come together and band together in order to to meet needs and take care of one another. Lord, we lift up those that are still working in the midst of this bad weather, whether it is people still showing up to their work at at, at anything like a restaurant or a grocery store, or Lord, those that that when this weather hits, that that's when they spring into action, like uh, Jamie and those that work on road crews and those that clear parking lots. God, we pray for your protection on them, Lord, that you would watch over them, that you would um, guide them, that you would take care of them, Lord, and that you would keep these, these individuals and these teams safe through all of this. Lord, we praise you for Kevin and the one who is clearing our parking lot. Lord, we praise you for the work he has put in. Lord, the the effort that he has put in to make sure that we could be here and to worship God. And we just praise you for him and for his family. Lord, we lift up Jean Bird. We pray for healing to be upon her. God, that you would heal her quickly from the COVID. And Lord, that that through this, that she would get better and, and that she would not experience too many symptoms and that she would be healed as quickly as possible. Lord, we lift up the Rittenberry family as as Jody passed away this last week. Lord, we pray for comfort and care on them. And Lord, that you would just be with them. And Lord, that they would just cry out to you and that you would wrap their loving, your loving arms around them. God, we lift up also the Smallwood family. We lift up specifically Tamara's brother. Lord, we pray that as he is trying to recover from this surgery, God, and that he is doing what he needs, that he will do what he needs to do. And God, that you would just watch over him, that you would protect him, that you would help the doctors and the nurses um, do what they need to do to take care of him. And God, that through all of this, that he would be healed. And Lord, that he would put his hope and his trust in you. And God, that he would find his satisfaction in you as well. God, be with us as we get into the word today, as both in person and online. And God, we just pray that you would just give us hope. And God, that you would uh, give us confidence as we look into the scriptures today. Lord, we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In the movie, The Princess Bride, which is a family favorite in my house, and I'm I'm sure it is a family favorite in many other houses as well, We get towards the end of the film, we get towards the end of the movie, and uh, the hero, Wesley, is rescued from the pit of despair. And after he is rescued from this pit of despair, and he is revived by the the miracle worker of the movie, he finds himself uh, 
mostly paralyzed, unsure of what is going on, and he has a slew of questions for his two companions, Diego Montoya and Fesic. He begins to ask questions like this, who are you? Are we enemies? Why am I leaning up against this wall? Where is Buttercup? Buttercup is his love interest if you've not seen the movie. And Diego Montoya responds to these questions in this way. He says, let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Thank you. Um, over the past two weeks, we have been studying Jesus' words to his apostles concerning what the future would hold for them as well as the end of days. Much like Wesley, I have no doubt that the apostles had a battery of questions that they wanted to ask Jesus about everything he had just told them. After all, he had been talking about persecution and natural disasters. He'd been talking about stars falling from the sky and the temple being destroyed and utterly abandoned. But in these last few verses of chapter 13, Jesus says, no, there is too much. Let me sum up. And that's exactly what we're going to look at today. So turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 28. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the Word of God says this. It says, Now, learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branches are already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that He is near, right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey who, upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigns to each one his task. Also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. So have a seat. So what exactly is Jesus trying to sum up in this passage? Well, I think there is three main things that we need to be able to pull and understand from this passage. The first thing being that we can know, in fact, even we can begin to see around us the fact that Jesus is returning. Again, this is something that we can know. I've said on multiple occasions that, that one of the greatest and the most powerful truths of Christianity and of the Scriptures is that when we look to the Scriptures and we believe the Scriptures, we can say things like, I know. That over and over again we see in Scripture, and this we know. So too in this passage we can say, hey, there is something we can know about this passage. And what we can know is that Jesus is returning. Now he does this by, by pointing to a parable. 
Now, generally speaking, this is the parable of, of this is a parable about a fig tree. And, and we see fig trees kind of pop up a lot in the Scripture. Jesus eats figs, he curses a fig tree, and now we get a parable regarding a fig tree. Now, as we could probably assume by that fact, fig trees are not uncommon in Palestine during this time. Generally speaking, Palestine is dominated by evergreens. Think about the Lebanon uh, Cypress, you know, the Lebanon tree and all that type of stuff. Generally speaking, um, Palestine has more evergreens than anything else. However, the fig tree is an example of a deciduous tree that was common in Palestine that the people would have known. And so, this was an example of, of seeing how the seasons change. Much like we do here, the Jews could see that the summer was just around the corner by the fact that their fig trees would start to leaf. We do that today also. We know that Easter is right around the corner or that spring is coming when the daffodils begin to pop up through the snow. We know that we are well into April and the months are starting to warm up when May apples start to show up as we hike on our trails or go or drive up and down the street. Even we can tell that summer here is right around the corner as we maybe drive up and down Tunnel Hill Church Road and those, those daisies begin to pop up from the ditch. In my family, we know my birthday's coming up when daffodils pop up. Liz's birthday is, is around the corner when the May apples show up. And our anniversary is getting very close because of the daisy. So I notice these things and they are signs, they are reminders that the weather is getting warmer, the days are getting longer, and that summer is eventually around the corner. Jesus is relating this common knowledge fact with all that he has told them before. Essentially, he is saying that when you experience the persecution, when you see wars and famine, even when you watch the temple become to be destroyed and, utter, and utterly abandoned, these are evidence or signs that Jesus is returning. Now, this does not necessarily mean that Jesus is returning immediately. This is not a day after day after day thing, one thing right after another until we see Jesus return. But it was intended to give the people hope. Essentially, instead of these events causing them to lose hope, to abandon their faith and give up on God, it was supposed to be a reaffirmation that Jesus was coming back and that they had hope that these days would not last forever. The Bible often ties things like tribulation, trials, hurt, and sorrow with hope and a reminder that God is in control. For example, look at Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 3. Paul writes these words, And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, that was given to us. Jesus is telling his people, he's reminding them that, hey, these are going to be events that are going to happen that are going to cause us to doubt and question and, and maybe lose hope, but they should actually do the opposite because I've told you these things are going to happen. If what I'm telling you is true here, then you can have confidence in knowing that the other things I've told you are true as well. Guys, this applies to us too. 
We see, we hear wars, we hear rumors of wars, we, we see tribulation, we see hurt, we see heartache, we see the natural disasters and the earthquakes and the famines, and those are things that there are many people in the world have used as reasons to abandon hope in God. But when we look at even our passage today, we realize that these reasons that other get, people give for abandoning God are the reasons why we should reaffirm our hope in God. Because he has told us these things were going to happen. And he has told us that when these things happen, they are pointing us to the reminder that Christ is coming again. And that he is going to collect his people to himself. Now, I think it's important to note, or excuse me, I think it is important to point out that just because we see these signs... Just because even if we look in our world, just because we see daffodils, just because we see the daisies popping up, just because we notice the days are getting longer, we really don't know exactly when summer has officially arrived. While we know that summer, I think, officially lands on June 21st and that that is the, the summer solstice and that is officially the first day of summer, more often than not, we will say things like summer is here on that first 90 degree day with 87% humidity sometime in May. We may also think summer is here like that sometime in May, only to be surprised by another 35 degree morning when you walk out in your nice short sleeve polo and realize that you are freezing. We don't really know when summer has officially arrived. We just know that the signs point to its near. This brings us to our second point. The second thing that Jesus wants us to understand from this passage is while we do know that Jesus is returning, we do not know when he is returning. And that's important to see in this passage. Jesus explicitly says in verse 33 and in the previous passage, verse 32, when Jesus states that neither he nor the angels know. Go back and look at the text for just a moment. He says this, he says, but of the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but the father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert for you do not know when the appointed time will come. He illustrates this point by talking about a man who went away on a journey. Now, this man was, was a term that the Bible would use sometimes as a ruler, meaning he owned property and he had slaves. He was not, well, probably not royalty. He was certainly somebody. I want you to notice specifically verse 35, which reads, Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening at midnight, when the rooster crows, or in the morning. Jesus basically covers every major period of time that existed in, in Jewish life. These are like the, the say, we would say morning and afternoon and evening and, and, and nighttime or something like that is what we would use. And this is essentially that same idea that he is going to, that you don't know if he's going to come in the evening you don't know if he's going to come overnight. You don't know if he's going to come before when the first light dawns and the rooster crows or sometime in the morning. At any given point, the master of the house could be home. Even in the times where the servant might least expect it. 
One of the things that one of the, 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 the commentaries pointed out for me is that, that traveling at night was often extremely dangerous. You could get lost. There were, there were robbers. There were the bad people out at night. And so the odds of someone showing up in the middle of the night or at first light was extremely unlikely. And so the fact that he not only includes those things, but kind of puts them right in the heart of his warning implies that, listen, it could be at any time. So too will it be with the Son of God. We may know that he is coming soon, but we have no idea when that will be. And I think I need to say that again so that you understand it. We can know that he is returning, but there is no way we have, I mean, we have no idea when exactly that will be. For this reason, we should not listen to anyone who thinks that they have interpreted some secret meaning in Scripture, that they have somehow cracked the code of numbers or whatever nonsense that, may, that they may have found. I don't care how shiny their book is. I don't care how many speaking engagements they have had. Anybody who wants to tell you that they know when Christ is returning is a charlatan and they should be rejected. If you got the books on your shelf, Either put a big stamp in them that say heresy, do not take seriously, or throw them in the fire. Because anybody that says they have it figured out is full of it. And you can decide what it is. Keep in mind the words of Jesus from Acts chapter 1, if you do not believe me. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus said to his disciples, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not for us to know. God did not intend us to know. God does not want us to know so much so that, that this was not even information that he related to the Son while he was in the flesh. And so no matter how many times they could have pressed him or asked him or, 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 or tricked him, or which they couldn't have done, or whatever to Jesus to get him to tell them when his return was, he couldn't have answered because he didn't know. And he didn't know because we're not supposed to know. And brothers and sisters, if we spend our days trying to figure out when, we will miss out on the reason why we even know he's returning. This leads us to the final thing, and, the, and I would even argue the main thing that Jesus wants us to understand from these parables and really from everything he said in Mark chapter 13, and that is this, be on the alert. This is kind of our final watch out statement from Mark chapter 13. That's why we call, I called this Be On Your Guard Part 3. Both parables point to this very simple but very true reality. Going back to the parable that he gives us of this man going away on the journey, it says that when the man leaves, but the man leaves, but before, before he does so, he places each of his servants in charge, or he places his servants in charge while he is away. Now think about that for a second. The man leaves, he's going on a journey, but before he leaves, he puts his servants in charge. You guys are taking care of the house. You guys are in charge while I'm away. Some important things to realize this, that just because the servants have been placed in charge, they do not suddenly own the house or anything in it. It is not as though suddenly they can say, this is now our house. This is now our food. This is now our stuff. 
and it belongs to us, and we can do with it whatever we want. It does not belong to them. However, they are now accountable to their master for the home and everything in it. They have not been given less responsibility. They have been given more responsibility. Now, everything that is in the house and the house itself, including every worker, every pot, and every, every barrel, is now something that they will give account to for the master when he returns. It goes on to say that the master also assigns a task to each servant. Jesus is clearly using this parable to relate what is going to happen when he ascends back to heaven and the church age begins. So Jesus is obviously the man that is going away on a journey. Jesus will, ha- will give up his own life. He will die on the cross. He will, be bur- he will be buried in the tomb for three days. He will rise from the grave. He will be seen in his flesh to his disciples and to many others. In fact, even thousands of people will see the resurrected Jesus. And then as we looked at in, in Acts chapter 8, or we mentioned just a few minutes ago, um, he will ascend to heaven. And the church age begins. The Holy Spirit comes. It fills up the apostles. It fills us up. And the church age begins. We, meaning the church, those who are in Christ, are the servants who have been left accountable for the home. Now, the home can mean the church. It could arguably mean all of creation. And it could also most certainly mean the gospel itself. Each one of us, if we are in Christ, are assigned a task to fulfill in the church. All of us have an obligation, in some way, shape, and form, are accountable to the church, the mission of the church, and the gospel going forth. One day, every person in this room, every person listening online, and everybody who has cried out to Jesus Christ will stand before Jesus to give account of whether we were diligent to complete the task that we were given or whether we were caught sleeping. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Be diligent to present yourselves approved by God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. All of us have been called to this task. Now we've been called different ways. Not everyone here is expected to stand in front of somebody and teach. Not everyone here is going to be up in this pulpit. Not everyone here is going to sing a special. But all of us are here to do something. And all of those somethings are important. It's important to note that one job in particular is called out. If we look again at verse 34, it says this, that he also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. The King James Version refers to this as the porter. Now, now porters and, and doorkeepers are not something we have um, too often today. I highly doubt that Philip and Mary Joe make Lane sit by the front door and, and keep an eye out and make sure that, 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 that they know exactly when uh, the boys come and go and whether they're doing their job and that nobody weird comes up or, or a census worker or somebody trying to sell something. Um, that would be a great job if they're in trouble. Um, in fact, I like that idea, Liz. Let's just make Laney stand by the door and, and watch. I'm sure she would love it. But this was a guy who kept guard 
of the gate of the house of the main entrance to ensure that only the man's, the ruler's servants entered and that, that, that business was being conducted in a right manner. In other words, he was essentially the overseer of the whole household as well as the one who announced the master's return. The apostles should have recognized that Jesus was talking to them. When he mentions specifically the porter, when he mentions specifically the doorkeeper and the task of the doorkeeper, that is, that is directed toward and assigned to these apostles that he is speaking with. The pastor in our day and age today, the pastor and the deacons are charged with making sure that the church is doing what the church ought to be doing and that they are charged with protecting the church from those outside of God's household. And guys, we cannot put this off. We cannot wait for a more convenient time. We cannot wait till everything gets better. We cannot wait for winter weather to leave or COVID-19 to, to magically disappear. There is no point in time where the church can wait on and sleep on doing what it has been commanded to do. All of us, from the pastor to the deacon to the children up in children's church, ought to be about the work of God. We should be sharing our faith. We should be discipling. We should be encouraging. We should be building up one another. We should all be growing in to be more like Christ. For those of you in this room, this means don't wait to start serving the Lord. Don't wait to make the decision to follow the Lord and to be his disciples. Don't wait until you graduate. Don't wait until you start a family. Don't wait till you get through the pandemic or this semester. Don't wait until the, the money is better and you're more financially secure. Don't wait until your schedule clears up. I have been in some form of ministry for almost 15 years. And every season I turn to my wife and say, it's okay, we just need to get through, like right now, we just need to get through winter and my schedule should clear up in the spring. And then spring comes and it's just as crazy as it was before. And I say, don't worry, let's just get through spring. And when we get to summer after camp, my schedule should clear up. And you know what? For 15 years, my schedule is not cleared up. And so I can't wait for a more convenient time to serve the Lord. I have to serve the Lord now. And that's true for everyone in this room and everybody watching online. We cannot wait for a more convenient time to begin, to begin to faithfully walk with the Lord and do what God has called us to do. It has to start now. Because if we wait for the perfect time, that perfect time will never come. And we will realize that if we are like a servant in this household that says the master is going to be gone forever. He has, she has to travel. He's got business stuff going on. He's going to be wheeling and dealing. He might get into some bad weather. We got lots of time. Let's party for at least a little while. Or while he's gone, I'm going to take a nap. What we will see happen is we will always have a reason to wait. And one day, the master is going to return. And if he catches us sleeping on what he has called us to do, then we're going to have a problem. We have to recognize that there is a lost and dying world all around us. 
And I've got news for you, brothers and sisters. Just because the pandemic started didn't mean people stopped dying. The gospel didn't get suspended for a few months or for a year just because there's a virus. There are still lost people. There are still people dying without Christ who may have never even heard the gospel. And that's where we come in. Jesus closes this passage with these words. He says, What I say, I say to all. That's us. Be on the alert. Brothers and sisters, everything Jesus has said, whether it is about persecution or the temple going away, whether it's about the sun being darkened and stars falling from the sky, everything he has told us in this entire chapter sums up, it sum up in this point. Be on the alert. Wake up. See what is going on out there. We have a job to do. And I can tell you one thing. I don't know when Christ is returning, but I can tell you he is closer to returning right now than he ever has been before. And we have a job to do. And we all have a job to do. So let the Lord not find us sleeping, but let him find us working diligently, tirelessly, sacrificially, passionately, to see people come to know Christ and to see the name of God glorified. Let's pray. Our gracious God and King, we come before you now, Lord, and we praise you for your word. And God, we praise you for the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, we pray that as we wrap up this chapter, we are reminded that we have a work to do. And God, that that work cannot wait for tomorrow. That work cannot wait for for two weeks from now, Lord. That that work can't wait until the pandemic is over, until we've gotten married or started a family or whatever box we want to check in our mind. But God, that that work begins now. And that work needs to continue to go on. Lord, I pray that that, uh, we will be diligent to do that work. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that needs to start that work by surrendering their life to you, God, I pray that they will not also wait one more day, one more week, one more life event. But God, that we would be found diligent. God, that we would take your word seriously. And God, that we would have hope knowing that you are gonna return. That we don't need to worry about when that's gonna be. And that, God, you will give us everything we need to see your work accomplished in this world. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.